Hi, and welcome to another episode of Money Making Sense. I'm Andy Farnsworth, and I'm sitting in for Heather Kelly today. And I'm excited to welcome on the podcast, first of all, of course, Susan Spears, CEO of Utah Association of CPAs, the sponsor of this podcast. And we're joined in this episode by Marlo Oaks, state treasurer for the state of Utah, as we talk about what's called ESG, which stands for Environmental Social Governance. And Marlo, let's just start with that right away. There's a lot of acronyms that are in government. There's a lot of acronyms in a lot of different things. Why do we want to talk about ESG today? Well, ESG is is a really important uh, thing that people understand, and it's it's being pushed through business, um, and, and so people may see p- parts of it. They may not see the whole picture, but essentially ESG is a way to drive behavior through business, and, and that may seem like a pretty bold statement, and so we really kind of have to step back and, and, and see kind of how this whole ESG works, environmental social governance. It's really in the investment. It starts in the investment world, so with investment money. Um, and if you think about our free market capitalist system, really individuals like you and I are at the heart of that system. We are making uh, decisions on how to spend our money and how to make our, our money, and, and we're free to, to do that. And uh, and so businesses are really trying to meet our demands and, and satisfy us as consumers. It's a little bit analogous to our constitutional form of government, where we are you know, the the ultimate sovereign uh, beings who are choosing who is going to represent us. And so on the economic side, really our, our economic system supports our individual and societal freedoms by allowing us to make choices on, on how we're going to spend that money. So why do we suddenly see ESG appearing in our capital markets, in our free market system? And the reason that I say that it's ultimately trying to drive behavior is because the ESG is pushing an agenda. And the reason I say that is back in June 2004, the first time those three words are used in print was was a United Nations document, Who Cares Wins, that says only if all actors contribute to the integration of environmental, social, and governance issues in investment decisions can significant improvements in this field be achieved. Well, that's clearly pushing an agenda. And if you think about the agenda for investing, when we invest our money for retirement or or whatever it is, the whole goal is to make money. And as soon as you introduce another agenda outside of making money, uh, you have introduced an agenda that is falls outside of the investment realm. And, and so uh, this represents a top-down effort to drive uh, behavior that is completely counter to free market capitalism. Are we finding that to be happening in the state of Utah as well, or is this more on specific states like this uh, to me and i just it sounds like a california started thing just on a stereotypical level but is this something that we're seeing in the state of utah it's global uh this is happening globally um because it was the united nations that really started pushing this um back in 2004 uh, as a result of that that uh, gathering that that produced that document um, it was really institutions on the financial side, these global 
institutions, uh, including in the United States, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, that have participated in this meeting where they talked about how do we integrate ESG into the investment world. And, and it's very important for people to understand the financial services industry really is the base of our capitalist system because they are allocating capital. They're deciding which businesses get capital. And so if you can capture the financial services around the globe, you can change the, the way capital is allocated. And really the driver, the engine that, that is sort of driving this whole ESG train is cl the climate crisis narrative. Um, if, if that were not uh, a thing, then it would be very difficult to, to drive ESG. But basically it's used as a crisis narrative saying we have to do this or we're all going to die. It's this existential threat. And so instead of making uh, economic decisions or decisions purely based on economic outcomes. We're now introducing uh, things that that drive uh, decisions like um, trying to stop using fossil fuel, no matter how detrimental that is to, to all of us. If we stop using fossil fuel, we don't have energy uh, and we don't have uh, the, the proper a uh, way to to uh, heat our homes and and cool our homes uh, as needed and and energy of course is sort of a, a foundational part of any prosperous economy um, and so you know you can see pretty quickly how it starts uh, translating down through the economy and and we're seeing you know with higher energy prices uh, all of us are feeling the effects of ESG on the personal level. Um... You know, when I when I hear this, it's maybe the best question to ask is why did the U.N. feel like this was something they had to push back in 2004? Was it something that they saw coming? Was it one of the things where, you know, lobbyists or something got to, got the ear of the right people to kind of put this on the agenda? What was sort of the impetus behind it? No, that's a that's a great question, because, um, you know, a lot of times people hear ESG and they think of it as socially responsible investing. And that was really the precursor to ESG. Socially responsible investing was really uh, an idea that was driven by religious organizations in this country that said we don't want to participate in certain areas of the economy. Uh, so, for example, the slave trade early, early on in this country. Um, but, but, you know, as it, as it uh, morphed over time, uh, investors would choose uh, not to uh, invest in tobacco, for example, or gambling or firearms, whatever it was. And, and importantly, that was an individual investor choice. Um, and and so when you have individual investor choice and and the individuals just say, hey, I'm going to do this for my own portfolio, you can do what you want with your portfolio, that operates within the context of free market capitalism. What makes ESG different is suddenly they said, we have to push an agenda um, to make sure that we make improvements and, and the, the climate agenda is really the, the pretext for, for doing this. But if you read the words of the UN, it's clear that that's really not the agenda uh, that they, they ultimately care about. In, in um, 2000, or, uh, 2018, the UN commissioned a study and the headline from that study was, we cannot fight, fight climate change with capitalism. Uh, Christiana Figueres, back in 2015, she was the head of the UN IPCC, the climate change group that came up with the Paris Climate Accord. 
She said, this is the first time in the history of the world that we have tried to intentionally transform or change the economic system that's been in place in the world for the last 150 years. AOC's chief of staff back in 2019 said the Green New Deal wasn't originally about climate. It was how do you change the entire economy thing? And so that really is the, what is happening here is the, the desire to change our free market capitalist system. Climate is the pretext. And that's why ESG actually acts the way it does. It ultimately will replace our economic freedoms. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's simply I'm simply using uh, the words that they have used and, and what they're trying to do. So it's your feelings are that uh, ESG is not the correct way to let uh, the financial systems work, if I'm understanding you correctly. Well, it changes our financial systems completely. Um, I mean, even BlackRock, Larry Fink, um, who is the, the CEO of the largest investment management company in the world, nine, nine to $10 trillion under management. You know, he, he, he would write these letters to CEOs uh, across America. In 2020, he, the title of his letter was A Fundamental Reshaping of Finance. And it was talking about how every government, company, and shareholder must confront climate change. And so even the, the most powerful people on Wall Street are talking about reshaping finance to address climate change. Well, when you reshape finance, that fits very nicely into what they're talking about, that climate change uh, cannot be fought with capitalism. It seems to me, at least uh, how you've described it and what it sounds like from uh, the way the UN passed it is, uh, it, it it's the classic argument between uh, two opposing political viewpoints. One of whom says, "You know, let the people give the people what they want, whether it's to their benefit or their ruin." And the other side saying, well, "It feels like we're we, we're seeing it going in the ruinous path, and we'd like to see if we could figure out some way to head it off." And then how you feel about it will kind of depend on how you feel about those particular viewpoints. Uh, did I read that wrong? Yeah, so so here's what people don't understand, and, and this is really important because it, it ultimately shows why this is anti-economic uh, freedom. And it's that's these um, there's there's organizations, climate pledges, um, so net zero climate pledges that span the financial sector. So net zero asset managers, net zero asset owners alliance, net zero banking alliance. Um, and so what what these organizations do is they go out and they try to sign up the banks, the insurance companies, the asset managers, the asset owners to commit to an agenda. And that's that's kind of in line with, you know, the U.N. Uh, original U.N. document. There's also a U.N. PRI, U.N. Principles for Responsible Investing. And this is an organization that has gone around and, and signed on thousands of investment managers. And one of the things that they, uh, if you sign on as an investment manager and BlackRock uh, signed on to this and, and Vanguard, State Street, uh, I mean, there's a whole host of investment managers that have signed on to this. One of the things they commit to do is that they will be active owners and incorporate ESG issues into our ownership policies and practices. And if you think about the bulk of the assets in this country, uh, they are managed on a passive basis. So, and I'm speaking of equity ownership, right? The the stocks that you might own in your retirement portfolio. The bulk of those are index-based. In other words, they're passively managed. 
And yet these passive investment managers have committed to be active owners and incorporate ESG. So incorporating an agenda that falls outside of the investment realm. This is literally hijacking our free market capitalist system. People don't realize it. They say, well, this just should be, this is just a, an individual decision. The problem is, is that when you and I invest our monies with our retirement, we don't often have a say in what retirement solutions or what, what retirement options are available to us in a 401k. That's provided by the, the plan sponsor or the company. Um, or if we're in a defined benefit plan, we don't have any control over the investment managers that are managing that defined benefit pension plan. And, and so really there's a disconnect between the end owners, you and I, and these investment managers. And this has allowed them uh, to, to use their power in the marketplace to be active owners. It's completely contrary to everything you and I believe the system, how the system operates. How are they getting these financial institutions to commit to this? Is it uh, with the threat of bad PR? Is it that they're making a compelling case to the people who make the decisions and the people who make the decisions say, oh, this is a good idea? What, how, is this, uh, how are they finding success then if, if, if the way you see it, it's, it's a threat to letting the markets dictate themselves? How is it that the people who, uh, you know, the, the fund managers and things that quote unquote or at least control the marketplace as much as one can control it, the ones that control our access to it, how are they being convinced to do this? Yeah, and that's a really, that's a really important question. So really the, the financial industry starts with the asset owners. That's the pension plans, the sovereign wealth funds. These are large, massive in, um, institutional investment portfolios. Um, so 19 of the 20 largest institutional investment portfolios in the world are government-sponsored pension plans or sovereign wealth funds. And so you can see there's a connection there with the UN. A lot of these uh, countries have been convinced that uh, we're all going to die unless, unless we address climate change. And so these asset owners, they hire the investment managers and the investment managers are dependent on those asset owners for their business. And so the asset owners go into the investment manager and they say, we want you to invest uh, the money that you manage um, according to ESG principles, and they, you know, and and you know, a manager may say, okay, well, we're happy to invest your money that way, and then the asset owner says, no, you have to invest all of your money that way, and in fact, uh, BlackRock um, has said uh, that they have about 4.4 percent of their assets that are in ESG mandates, only 4.4 percent of their assets, but. Uh, and this was the head of uh, ESG integration of BlackRock back in 2021. She said, if we think that ESG risk and climate risk are investment risk, then we can essentially use all of our clients' money to manage in this way. And that's exactly what's happening. So the asset owners will go into the investment managers. The asset owners are, uh, are committed to pushing ESG through the marketplace. They go into the investment managers. They sign up the investment managers to commit to this agenda, and then it starts spreading uh, through the uh, through our markets. For those who are proponents of ESG, what is their, I mean, as best as you could guess, what is their ideal outcome of all of this? Like, what is the perfect world that they feel like they're working towards? What what would it look like if they, re, if they achieved it, regardless of how it actually is going to turn out? But 
how you think it's going to turn out. But let's say that it goes exactly the way that they envision it as they start this. What would that look like? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I, I'm not sure um, that that they uh, would even know where the end point is. Um, it, it's clear, though, if this continues, it's it's not free market capitalism, and and it it really changes the economic system. And and they don't identify what system is better. Um, and, and people have to realize that not only does this encompass our economic freedoms, but it also that our economic system is the envy of the world. It has it has brought more people out of poverty. It has generated more wealth. It has um, it, it has created uh, more innovation than any other system in the world. And so, if we're concerned about climate change or whatever the problems are. It really is our free market system that will find the solutions to those problems. And so uh, it's it's just very concerning what road we are going down uh, because it ultimately will harm all of us. Now, as state treasurer, what do you think your role is in either helping or preventing this? Well, the state treasurer is a, is a really unique role. Um, I, I really sit at the crossroads of politics and the capital markets. And in the past, the capital markets have been apolitical. We have not seen an effort to capture the capital markets like we see today and, and to push an agenda. And so, uh, you know, we have about 35, 36 billion that we oversee in the treasurer's office. I also sit on the board of Utah Retirement System. So, you know, looking over how money is managed. Um, and, and then we also, you know, of course, raise money in the capital markets. And if you think about ESG, um, in 2022, I received an email from S&P Global that said, uh, we want to talk to you about the ESG credit indicators we plan to apply to the state of Utah. And what that means is that Utah may have the best credit rating in the world, and we do. We've never been rate rated less than the highest rating, which gives us the ability to borrow money at the cheapest rates in the capital markets. But if we have a separate ESG score, then investors in the marketplace can point to that ESG score and say, well, Utah may have the best credit in the world, but look at their ESG score. And that encompasses things that are not uh, have anything to do with our, our financial strength and our ability to pay them back. And so you, then you can drive behavior in the state and say, well, yeah, they have the wrong you know policy, whatever that policy is, that would be encapsulated in an ESG score. And so that's why it's very important that, uh, that a, a, a state officer like a state treasurer is independent and can speak up on these issues because we're literally seeing for the first time a serious attack on the economic system of this country and, frankly, around the world, um, and most people don't see it. So let's say that this has raised a concern in people who are listening to to this episode. What is something that they can do on the ground level? Is there anything they can do on the ground level, especially since even though they may have you know retirement assets, they're kind of out of their own hands because they're managed by the people who manage their retirement assets. So what is something that somebody on the ground level could do or should do? Yeah, no, and that's, it's really important that people do something. You know, when when they see the options in their retirement portfolio, so the 401k lineup, right, um, it's important for them to understand 
is that provider, that investment manager, are they a proponent of ESG? And if they are, then they need to talk to the company and say, we don't want this option. Uh, we need to find uh, an investment option that is not pushing ESG because ultimately it, it leads to uh, worse financial outcomes. Um, also, people can let businesses hear from them. So the things that have happened with Target, for example, and Bud Light, this is also anti-free market um, activity that's happening where they're making decisions not based on their customers and what their customers want. They're making decisions based on uh, some artificial uh, index where they want to uh, score high. Uh, the human rights campaign in, in, in both of those cases. Um, and so people have absolutely have a right to have their voice heard in the marketplace and choose not to spend their money with uh, businesses that are politicizing their business. The, you know, the business world, um, their, their whole goal should be to uh, focus on their customers and provide the best goods and services at the lowest prices possible. That's where we benefit. And they come up with innovation and, and things of that nature. That's their good to society. Uh, you know, and there's an analogy to the legal system. The legal system, you, you have uh, Lady Justice with a blindfold. And her, the decisions in the legal system are to be made based on the law and the law alone. As soon as you take off the blindfold, you can introduce things like empathy and, and other things that are not related and, and trying to find who's the oppressor and who's the oppressed. On the, in the business world, the analogy is that businesses are to be making decisions based on economics. And as soon as you introduce another uh, uh, reason for for making business decisions, you are corrupting the system itself. And so the the beauty is in the simplicity. And 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 so people can definitely have their voices heard, both with their investment portfolios and the decisions they make in the marketplace. So what you're saying is you need to be a little less like me, which is I love my financial advisor because he never bothers me with anything except when I call him to make a change. <laughs> Maybe I should take a little bit of a closer look at something and just see if the way I feel aligns with the way my investment manager or the company with which I've, put, I've placed my retirement funds, if that aligns with the way that they're doing business. And if it doesn't, and I feel strongly make a change or look at making a change. Did I understand that right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and you know, we are really seeing uh, the, the impact in our day to day lives uh, with the attack on, on energy. That's that's a big contributor to why we have higher energy prices in this country. If that if that bothers people, one of the solutions is to get away from ESG and to demand that companies focus on on their economic outcomes, not a political agenda. Well, this sounds like a, a lot of nuance as well, because I, I can think of probably a hundred other questions that, that we could take the discussion in that direction, which in part is, I mean, you could you could say that for, for you, you listed Bud Light and Target as an example, the market did correct them, and especially Bud Light. Um, when people saw that, they didn't like it, and their sales went down a whole bunch. So it was kind of, the market did work, right? Yes, the, yes, the, the market is working in that way. The problem is, like on the financial services side, uh, from um, basically 1990 to 2008, there were about 2,000 banks that were formed in the United States. Since 2009, there's been about 75. So over a decade, 
there have only been 75 banks that have been chartered. And the reason for that is because of increased regulation. And so the, the free markets are not going to easily solve this problem. Another, another reason why this is not going to be easily solved is that because of this agenda to shut off capital to fossil fuels, um, oil and gas funds that have been raised among institutional investors, these large pools of capital, the pension systems, sovereign wealth funds, things of that nature, there were $50, $50 billion raised uh, uh, in North America for, for uh, oil and gas funds back in 2015. In 2021, $3 billion. So we're literally seeing the cutting off of capital in a critical industry that feeds all other industries and that's 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 not a free market. A free market system, you would see much more capital being allocated. And there are there are groups that have openly bragged about that. And unfortunately, the harm is being felt by those who can least afford it. In California, there is a group called the Two Hundred. It's a statewide coalition of founders of civil rights organizations, community and business leaders, housing advocates, etc. And they are uh, suing the California Air Resources Board because of the climate policies that are leading to higher energy costs and the low income households spend three times more of their income on energy costs and, and uh, a bulk of them, uh, more than half of them, uh, live in energy insecurity. And so this is a terrible injustice that is, that is happening. This is what happens when you mess with markets and you distort markets and you try to drive outcomes of a political nature through markets, it makes things more expensive or it causes disruptions um, that, that end up harming everybody. And we are seeing that play out today. And people just haven't haven't seen the connection to ESG and, and why that's such a bad system. Well, that doesn't sound like there's easy answers necessarily. And it sounds like there's uh, a lot of political influence that'll be needed either way, either to continue to drive it or to, you know, maybe slow it down or put a stop to it. And so uh, that's also incumbent on every citizen to take the time to make sure that they vote and they research issues. I think that's a great message too. hey, you know what? Be active. Don't just be passive. Uh, I know that's the easier way to do it. And trust me, because I feel it myself. Um, but when you take the time to learn these things and then make a little, a little bit of effort can go a lot farther than you think. And a lot of effort can go a lot farther than you think. And maybe that's the, the best message is, you know, whether you agree with it or whether you disagree with it, at least look into it and see how you feel. Better to have a decision and do something about it than to just be like, ah, this is all Washington stuff. Let's let the other people take care of it. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's really important that people... Uh, understand the issues and there they are this is very um, um, subtle in a lot of ways there's a lot of nuance here um, uh, and it's important for for people to recognize really what is at stake here because it is literally our economic freedoms are at stake uh, and and we all need to recognize uh, the the downside of moving away from what has been the best economic system in the world well, Marlo Oak, State Treasurer for the State of Utah, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your day today. I know you're getting ready for the legislative session that's coming up, and I appreciate you taking some time to join Money Making Sense and help us to get an understanding uh, of what environmental and social um, governance is and how we can relate to it on on a personal basis, because I, I do admit, I bet a lot of people kind of feel like me at first, like, oh my gosh, what is this? And 
do I have the time to kind of process it? But I think you've done a really good job in a short time of giving us an idea what it is, why you see the dangers in it and what they can do about it. So I uh, appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andy. It's good to be on. Susan, do you have anything else you want to add? I think you make a great point, Andy. A, a lot of us is like, oh, let's let everybody take care of it. But this really does come down to our own personal financial well-being, you know, whether it's our retirement accounts, it's our investment accounts or whatever. And as citizens, it, it behooves us to even have a general knowledge as to what we're investing in, how we're investing and the why, because this certainly does in, impact our economy. And um, I was just challenge everyone, go call your financial advisor and um, get a little bit of education. It's the new year and um, we're probably making some changes anyway. So why not? And we should be starting to see our W-2s coming in the mail this month. So uh, another reason to look up your financial person and, and start getting ready, uh, not just finishing wrapping up 2023, but making plans ahead for 2024. Right. Well, thank you, Susan and Marlo. Appreciate you joining me. And uh, for Heather Kelly, I've been Andy Farnsworth for Money Making Sense. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's H-K-E-L-L-Y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media, Money Making Sense, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.